So this is not going to be the most professional preach I've ever done, I don't think. I'm going to try and preach from the heart. I've done a lot of prep. I deep dived on Tuesday. I spent four hours prepping and I felt the Lord rebuke me and say, stop teaching and start sharing. Um, and so I've got a lot of notes, um, but I'm trusting that the Spirit will lead me because I do feel like this is a word. Um, it's a word of correction as well as a word of encouragement. My preach is entitled, oh, also just um, for scripture, I have a lot of scripture, but I haven't given it to Joe because I don't know what I'm going to use yet. So we might just pause for a second. If the Holy Spirit highlights something, Joe can throw it up and we can read it together. The title of my preach is Becoming Useful to God. And it's for us, who are, or it's for those who are unsaved, which I will also qualify or clarify, and it's for us who are saved. Becoming useful to God. I love, also, I was just chatting to Jesse outside a little bit earlier about this race. It's funny that the gun run is on this morning. Has, have any of you done a race where there have been millions of people in it? Millions or hundreds of thousands. Has anyone done here done the Argus? Okay. Okay. Yes, you guys have. <clears throat> so, it's an interesting thing, the Argus, because... There's so many people in each division that the starting line is over there, and you sit on your bike all the way at the back, but there's excitement in the crowd, it's amping, you get into the front, and they shout, whoppa, and as they do, you get on your bike, and you start going, and there's so much enthusiasm that by the time you cross the starting line, and there's so many people, you've probably already done like three or four hundred meters. Now, you, can you imagine, and, and, and there's such a hype, and you see this banner that you go under. Imagine you get, because now you've done 400 meters. You get off your bike, and you drop, and you start to celebrate. Woohoo! you know? But that was the starting line that you've crossed. There's still an entire race to go of hard slog and endurance and pain, and you still got to get to the finish line. The problem is, and I want to take this analogy through to salvation. So often we make the gospel and salvation about the starting line. It's the point. We preach the gospel. He got saved. Yes. It's like me getting off my bike at the starting line and going, come on. And Jesus is saying, run, run. There's a long race to go. And so we can become, we can become almost, we can trip over the starting line and never run any further. The reality is that the banner, the starting line says, hey, welcome to the race. Get going. It's very much like this with salvation. Salvation, I went through the T3 teachings and they use, they describe it as, as like a diamond, this thing. We use the term salvation broadly, but the problem is that, or not the problem, the thing is that there's, there's so many aspects to salvation. It's a beautiful diamond, and as light hits it, these colors spread off like the rainbow, and there's many facets to salvation, but very often we can class salvation as the starting line, justification or regeneration, and we just park there, and in doing that, we actually haven't understood this beautiful thing, and we miss becoming useful to God. 
So I want to look at that. I love the word that came through this morning. You can put up the scripture so long. The word that came through about fine-tuning. I do feel like for some of us this morning, God wants to fine-tune a string. Maybe it's one aspect of salvation, one aspect of your life that might be out. Another word came through for Dane. Maybe you need a whole new set of guitar strings. We'll explain that this morning as well. Okay, so becoming useful to God. 2 Timothy 2 says this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So it's now talking about people who are saved, who have encountered the Lord. They are His. It says in a large house, and I want you to remember there, must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. Go on to the next one. Oh, sorry. Go to 21, sorry. Okay, I'm going to read on. It says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, the latter being wickedness, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So there's a couple of just single words that I want to pull out of there. The one, the, the first concept that I want you to see is that God is a household. We are in the household. Once you become born again and saved, you start that process. You enter into his household. But what does it say? You could be made of gold and silver, or you could also be made of wooden clay. One having special, special purposes, and the other one, common use. Almost useless, but not entirely. I thought of a funny story. Imagine you were a piece of plastic. And, uh, and in your salvation or in that moment, you, you're being molded and shaped into this household object. And here come these bristles. And you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And you don't allow the process to work itself through. And you think you have this image of what you're going to become. And you pump out of the, you pull out of the, come out of the, the, the process, and you're a toilet brush. Who would want to be a toilet brush? Come on, you know. We need them. They're useful. Or who would want to be a toothbrush? Where in the kingdom, you're at the face of the king. <laughs> it's a bad analogy. But the same process could lead to two different products. You could become a toilet brush for ignoble use, or you could become a toothbrush. We're called to become toothbrushes. <laughs> so what is God's purpose in salvation? What does salvation do? And I'm going to ask a bunch of questions because I almost want you to answer them internally so that if I say something different, maybe your thinking can be challenged or changed. What is salvation? What is God dealing with in salvation? In this process of salvation. He's dealing with sin. Okay. He's dealing with sin. 
in dealing with sin, sin is what separates us from God. It's what makes us useless to Him, actually. So He deals with sin, but the salvation of the process of salvation is actually past, present, and future. It's not all entirely dealt with, or different aspects of it are dealt with. So we know that the original created purpose of man was to what? Glorify God. To walk in relationship with Him. To walk in obedience to Him. To, to um, exercise His authority. And to perform works. The Bible says this. So sin enters into the world and... What is the wages of sin? It's death. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9 it says, The Lord is slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. The, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. That perish is an interesting word as well. And David Pawson does an excellent teaching on it in the, the real Christian birth. Is the word perish actually refers to rubble or to fruit. Now, something that's perished, if you think of a perished water bottle, is it still a water bottle? Is it still a water bottle? Yes, it is. Can it fulfill its original function? No, it cannot. It no longer, it's like the guitar with the broken guitar strings. Is it still a guitar? Yes. Can it be used and function as a guitar? No. So what do you do with something that is perishing? You throw it out. Something that is perishing, you throw it out. Jesus speaks in the, in the New Testament 11 times of a place called Gehenna. Now, what was Gehenna? It comes from the Hebrew word Gehenom, which is the valley of Hinnom. It's a deep valley or cre crevice around Jerusalem, outside of the promise of Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's the place where in the old Israel, um, the, the evil kings would actually take and sacrifice their children to the god of Molech had a fire burning in his stomach. It was a statue and they would light a fire and then they would place their children on his hands and sacrifice them. Later on under the King Josiah it stopped being a place of sacrifice and it is where they would take their rubbish and refuse and sewerage and they would dispose of it in this place. And Jesus says that if you are perishing or if you do not turn from your sin, you are in danger of the fires of Gehenna. So he uses this, this um, visual illustration of what it will be like. It was a place of maggots and filth and uselessness. And he says that we, if we are useless to God, will be thrown into that place. And we are useless while there is sin or the penalty of sin that hasn't been dealt with in our life. So from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, death entered the world. And God went on a rescue mission. 
the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. It says that he does not want anyone to perish. So Gehenna was a place, it's, people think that there's going to be partying and, and whatever in hell. There's nothing of the like. It's going to become a place where useless people are no longer useless to themselves or to God or to one another. It's a place of rotting and filth and total depravity. There will be nothing of God there. And that's what he desperately desires for each and every person to be saved from. Because we, in our fallen state, are useless to God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. We cannot come into the presence of God. Our original design purpose was to worship and to glorify God and to walk in relationship with Him. But sin has separated us. So our purpose to walk with Him in close relationship has completely, we are perishing outside of Him. So what is the good news of the gospel? When we, like I mentioned um, uh, my friend, he totally unchurched. If you had to explain salvation or being saved to someone, what does it even mean? This precious diamond of salvation that we have. First, I want to tell you that the Bible says this in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not for yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. So can we, can we attribute righteousness or salvation to ourselves? No. It's a completely free and completed work that was done on the cross for us. There is nothing left that you and I can contribute towards our salvation a part of our salvation. Okay, and that's what I want to get to. One of the beams of light that comes out of that diamond, there's nothing that we can contribute towards. And then I'll tell you what we can. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, says Jesus So we have this thing that we try and the goal of the, uh, our goal should be in, when we deal with things like evangelism, is we, want to, we want to see people saved. We go out there and uh, we share the gospel, but we must never um, remove a part of the power of the gospel. So what did I say salvation deals with? It deals with sin. Sin comes in three forms. The penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death. Death is separation from God for all eternity. The penalty of sin is death. What uh, the, the next thing is the power of sin. Uh, Devolt um, read it in Romans 8. The power of sin has been defeated. It's been nullified. And the presence of sin. Now, can you honestly say that you 
the penalty of sin for all of us has been removed. There's a term, a legal term, called um, justification. And, and what is justification? Justification means that before God's eyes, when you confess Jesus as your Savior, you stand legally righteous before God. There is nothing more that you can do or that you need to do to stand legally righteous before Him. That you stand holy before Him. But are we fully saved at the moment? Can I park there? Can I just stop and go, well, I've got my fire insurance, and so I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to either attend church and become docile, or, you know, I don't even have to go to church. It's just me and God, and I've got my salvation, and, you know, once saved, always saved, and I'll, I'll make it into heaven one day. You can't stop there. God is working a process in you. So, Dane, are you saved? Yes, but let me tell you, you're being saved. You're not fully saved right now, but you are saved. Because in God's book, you're saved and you're holy and you're justified. But he's still working something in you. He's still working something in me. Because if you know me, you'll know that my thoughts aren't completely holy and pure. You'll know it. My actions, my intentions. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not yet saved from the presence of sin. I can still fall. We sin all the time. In 1 John, he says, don't be fooled. Don't lie. Don't say that you're without sin. So there's something that God still, even after we come into this place of a legal stand and a justification with God, that he, he says that we're holy and that we're made righteous. We get imputed the righteousness of Christ. That means that we have his righteousness. There's still something that he wants to do in you and in me. And I think that sometimes we forget that. And we forget this precious gift of salvation that we have. So the past once-off events that happen in your life is this. Your calling. In Luke 1 verse 10 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. God pursues you to the point of salvation. Your conversion, which comes from repentance and faith. In Luke 13 verse 3 it says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance, a change of mindset, moving away from sin and ungodliness and aiming towards God, seeing your life for what it is. Mark 1 verse 15, the saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In that moment, we know the story about Jesus with Nicodemus, and he says, you're Israel's teacher. You should understand these things. Nobody who isn't born again, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. This is this thing of regeneration, where in the Old Testament it says, I will give you a new heart. So in an instant, and it's not something that's experienced like a hit of lightning, God does a work within you that you might not even be aware of. He says, you were dead, and you were perishing, and now I'll give you a new heart. And he brings about a new birth. All of a sudden, there's something in you that's alive. But now there are two things inside you that are fighting one another. Galatians says,
So I say, walk by the Spirit. So when you also get saved, and I want to mention this, is, is you're given a seal, you're given a, a precious, the, the Holy Spirit. You see, salvation is God's work, it's not our work. We yield ourselves to Him. We change our thinking, we become available for Him to save us, but it's His work. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, justification. He takes it on. And then He seals you with the Holy Spirit, God's work. He does it, and then He starts to work this process in you. So now we have the Spirit living in us with our new heart, and it says, you will not gratify, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires that which is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit wants what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you have these two animals, these two beasts that are fighting against one another, two dogs, two natures. Natures is the best word. You have the spirit nature and the flesh nature. And as long as these two natures are fighting against one another until you are perfect and made like Jesus, you will be required to be sanctified. What does sanctification mean? Does anyone know? To be set apart. Continually set apart. It's the process of being made holy. Why do we need to be made holy? Well, the Bible says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12. So unless you're being made holy, but are you holy? Because I don't feel holy. So will I see the Lord? Well, once again, in justification... God sees us as holy. But I'm not fully holy. There's still the flesh in me that's waging war. It's in conflict with the Spirit. So God wants to do a deep work in me that makes me more holy in my nature, not my position. My position is justified. But my nature is still, I'm still dealing and wrestling with things. And why am I thinking that? And so God wants to work a process of holiness. In the sanctuary, in the old temple there were things that were set apart as holy and they were useful unto God if we go back to that scripture it says in a household there are things not only of gold and silver but of wood and clay some set apart for a noble or holy use and some others for ignoble so you can actually come into this Christian walk you can be a Christian and saved from the fires of hell but not be useful to God. Isn't that sad? And we're called to be useful to God for every work. You know, it talks about that woman. I was thinking about it. Why don't we, why don't we allow this process? I'm going to look at just three quick things of how does God sanctify us. But how don't, why don't we go through this process of sanctification? It's like that woman who comes and she knows, she knows she's sinful. She's very aware that she needs to be saved. You go and preach at the prisons. These guys know that they need to be saved. They don't rely on their own good work. Sometimes I feel like God should save me because, you know, I'm a good guy. I think sometimes I totally forget and we forget of this precious thing that we've actually been ripped out of the fires of hell that our sin has been dealt with in terms of penalty and we forget about it. And we forget about this beautiful treasure that we have. And so when God starts challenging us and wanting to sanctify us by the work of the Holy Spirit, we pull out. I'm not willing to go. It's too difficult. I'm saved anyway. Why would I be sanctified? I'm saved anyway. 
We've lost our first love. We've forgotten that which was paid for us, that we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. In Philippians 2, it says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To work out. In, in the church, much of the church nowadays, as soon as you say work, they go, legalist. Don't put that on me. I don't have to work for my salvation. Jesus has done it all. You don't understand it. Why are you putting those boundaries on me? Why are you putting law on me? You're cuffing me up, Mark. You want me to do, you want me to work? Okay, you're nullifying what God did. No. Scripture says, work out your salvation. Respond to that which God is longing to do within you. Remember, sanctification, nobody can sanctify themselves, but as we yield ourselves, as we bring ourselves, God sanctifies us. He does a work within us via the Holy Spirit. See, legalism is this. Legalism is when we work for our salvation. If you do this, church, and church, Bible, pray, uh, get rid of your sin, which you can't do, uh, then then you will be saved. That's not what we're saying. Not what I'm saying. That's not what Scripture's saying. It's saying, work it out. You're in this process of salvation. You are being saved. You are being set apart. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells, I just want to get, I want to drum this thing in of, of actually you can be saved, but totally fruitless. You can be useless to God. So, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of the seeds of the sower. Do you know that three of the four types of seeds hit the ground? One is stolen. It never takes root. Three of them take root. The first one, the roots are shallow and it withers. The second one, trials and temptations come and choke the fruitfulness. And the third one bears a yield. So what it's saying is the gospel can enter your heart and you can get saved. And you might not be useful to God. In John 15, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You need to bear much fruit. What does he say for those who don't bear fruit? I'll cut you out and I will throw you into the fire. He's talking to saved people at the time. He's talking to people with a, a saving knowledge of, of who he is. He's saying, work it out, continue. But what does he say? He doesn't say, go and do it on your own strength. He says, remain in me. Remain in me. Allow the Holy Spirit, whom I've given you, to work the salvation out through and through. We're called to go from one degree of glory to the next. So when we look at ourselves and, and, and our salvation walk, can we honestly say, because I do also think like uh, with anything in life, you kind of, you should be on an upward trajectory that keeps, it's never like just poof, through the roof. And maybe at a time it goes like this and then it dips. And, but if I go back and you look at my life as a testimony, or I look at your life and you say, Mark, am I a different person to who I was one year ago, six months ago? I can't say yesterday because yesterday I might have, 
been fully yielded to the Lord and something crept into my heart. My flesh took over. Maybe today I'm, but as time goes on, are we seeing, am I looking at you and going, Gideon, you look more holy. Jesse, you definitely look more holy. Like I can see you being set apart and in being set apart and changing into the image of Christ, which is also the goal of salvation. We're called to be transformed into and conformed into his image. I can see God using you. Because you've been set apart. It's like, and God is longing to look stuff. In Matthew 15, it says, It is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So he's wanting to be, you to be useful. It's not like he's fighting against you to not be useful. He's longing for us to be useful. So how do we take this precious thing of salvation and not deny this process of sanctification? How do we not shortchange it? I'm going to give you three things. And I want you to write these scriptures down. Okay. Please write them down, take notes. Because I'm not going to go through them all because I think I'm already about 20 minutes in. But I want you to study them for yourself. And this message is, is, is me going this, and this is what I felt the Lord wanting to do. For some people, he's wanting to say, wake up. You've got this beautiful thing called salvation, but you're not walking in it. And for other people, he's saying, keep going. It's tough. Sanctification sucks. It's so hard because ultimately you're dying. You're crucifying yourself. You're picking up your cross because your nature and your flesh is having to die and yield to the Spirit. And out of that, so much life is coming. But when you're in it, when you're in the fire, it's tough. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 11, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through, through these, He has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And then it says this, and this is the part to look at. So he's, he's, his divine power has given us everything we need. You've got every tool that you need. It says, for this very reason, make every effort. Once again, effort, legalism, work, work out yourself. No, like run at the things he's about to say. You can assist God in him sanctifying you. You want not in, your, in Him sanctifying you. It says, very, for this very reason, add to your faith goodness. You add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. What is knowledge? What is goodness? I made some notes. <laughs> goodness is the outworked and evident fruit of righteousness. Do good things. Try to be righteous. Yield to the Spirit. The Spirit will say, don't do that. That's unrighteous. Do that. That's righteous. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'll do that. Your flesh will want you to do the unrighteous things. Go and read Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. Goodness is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And He will constantly lead you that way. And your flesh will be going, I don't want to. I want you to do this. Yield to the Spirit. Just yield to Him. And the fruit will come out. So add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Read the Bible. You want to be sanctified? Read the Bible. You can't be sanctified without it. Okay. 
and and the Holy Spirit who's in dwelling in you, who's in charge of your process of sanctification, the word says he will remind you of everything that Jesus said. What did Jesus said? Go read your Bible, find out. Can't remind you of something that you haven't heard or known. Self-control. What is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Self-control. Self-control. Why self-control? Because your flesh doesn't want to be controlled. It wants to just do what it wants to do. And you're going like, shut up. Like down boy, you know? Self-control. Titus 2, verse 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. Say no. Say no. No. I sound like an American preacher. To ungodliness. It teaches us to say no. 2 Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. To live godly lives. But you must add self-control. You must yield to the Spirit. When the Spirit says no, you must go no. You must just follow Him. We produce fruit when we're in Christ, not in ourselves. Perseverance. Perseverance, this is a big one. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul writes, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. What if Paul had not kept the faith? I'm not going to go into that as a doctrine or theology. But he says, I kept the faith. What's the other option? Let go of the faith. There's a man who preached and changed the world, but he's saying, even in doing that, even in discovering this beautiful salvation, I have run my race. He didn't say, I sat down and waited for my time. Thank you, Jesus. Take me up and beam me up into glory, you know. He said, I've run the race. It's like the gun run. I've run the race. Boom. You get saved. You've just left the starting blocks. Run your race. Get to the end. Get there well. And godliness, mutual affection and love. I'm not going to go into those. Okay, so sanctification, the first process is you can yield to the Spirit and you can add to your faith these things. Read those things. Learn to practice them. You're yielding to the Spirit, not to your flesh. Sanctification in dealing through the flesh. And I want you to take down there Romans 8 verses 1 to 12. It talks about... That those who are born of God don't have their mind set on what the flesh desires. They have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in 12 it says, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, remember still two natures, to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We're called to deal with the flesh. What's the flesh? It's the sinful nature. What's the sinful nature? Nature. It's that thing that makes us want to sin. Something pops up. Girl walks past in skinny clad bikini. Everything in my flesh as a married man goes, wants, wants to go, that's nice. And then I become like Job and I go, no, I want to be holy. I'm going to bounce my eyes. I make a covenant with my eyes. The Holy Spirit doesn't want me to look at that because... She's a daughter of God. She's created for another man. And if you look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery. 
all these things, like the Holy Spirit brings back. And I go, Lord, although my flesh wants to look, I'm going to look this way. I'm going to turn. See, temptation isn't sin. Sin is sin. Giving in to temptation is sin. So we're called to deal with the flesh. So the first thing is we're to grow, and we can do things. The second thing is we're called to deal with sin. And the third thing is, and this is the sucky one, <laughs> is sometimes flesh needs to be burned. And there's a nature that we just can't do anything about. And so we, the Lord allows us to go through things that make us just hang on to him for dear life. I won't get through this without you. So he allows us to go through trials and testing. James 1 verse 2, you can take this down as well to 4. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He doesn't say endure it. He doesn't say just go through it. He says, consider it pure joy. When was the last time something hard happened in your life? And you literally, it's you in your emotions and yourself, it's so hard to go, yes. But in that quiet place, you actually went to the Lord and you said, thank you. Thank you for taking me through this trial because I know that you are refining my faith. And faith perishes. But it's one of those things that one day when we see him, we'll lay down our crown before him. And he'll say, come, reign with me. That's glorification. That is the end part of our salvation. Until we get there, we still got to fight the sin nature that's in us. We are not yet like him. But one day we will be fully like him as we see him. One Peter one verse seven says this: These trials will show that your faith is genuine. How many of you want to know that you have a genuine faith? I mean, genuine. I mean, saving faith. How, does no one want to know that they have a saving faith? Seriously, it's going to get tested. It's a promise of Scripture. Because something that isn't tested can't be trusted. And just a reminder that it's to God's glory that we bear much fruit. So God will sanctify you. And if you're not willing to do it yourself, he will make sure that you go through those fiery trials because he wants you to be holy. Uh, there's all the saying that Jesus loves you the way you are, but not enough to leave you the way you are. I think we take it like literally he's like, we're going for holiness, my boy. Let's go. I'm giving you the spirit. You're going to be fine. It's going to be tough. That, that picture of the hurdles that came through. So I was sitting with a guy, and I'm, I'm drawing to a close now. I was sitting with a guy, um, and uh, he's going through um, a nightmare at the moment, and his wife is in hospital. She can't work. They have no money. Um, it's hardship. This guy loves the Lord. Loves the Lord. And um, as we were sitting talking, he's, like, he's a little bit like Jesus, where it says like nothing of... of attracted you to him of the physical but he, yet we're so drawn to him and as he was telling me the story and he dropped this on me about how silver gets purified 
As he was telling me the story and what he's going through, I honestly, it was like he became beautiful to me. As I was looking at him, slightly balding, ragged beard, I was like, you, in my eyes, you just look so beautiful right now. And it wasn't physical. I was like, I want what you have. He was holding on to Jesus with everything. And he told me this. This is how silver is purified, and I want you to see this as your life. It says, in order to purify the rough silver, it is melted again in the melting pot on a fire. Melting and purifying silver is a precious job that requires the silversmith's full attention. Who's your silversmith? No. Okay. It's Jesus. He's watching your life, watching you on the melting pot, and he's paying careful attention. Listen to what he's doing. He will sit beside it, beside it and observe carefully that the temperature does not climb too high. As a result of which the silver would burn because of the heat. He must also ensure that the silver remains hot enough to prevent it from solidifying too soon. And little lead particles which make the silver brittle from remaining. Sometimes we're like, just get this heat out now. And God's like, no, it's too soon. The lead will remain and make you brittle. The, the silversmith stews borax powder in the molten silver in order to remove any lead that is still present. This powder melts into a glass-like mass. Any lead that is still present is dissolved in this, as a result of which the glass-like borax changes into a dirty foam that floats to the surface that can be skimmed off by the smelter of the liquid. He then adds borax once again, so you, so you get purified, and then he adds more. And you get purified again. He adds borax once again, stirring it through the molten silver and skimming the dirty phone off once again. And this is the beautiful part. He continues doing this until he sees his face mirrored in the silver. Until you fully reflect him, he will purify you. So God's desire for us is to be holy and set apart. He wants us to be go through this process of sanctification. Your justification has happened. You're saved. Before God, you're saved. He doesn't hold your transgressions against you. The penalty of sin is dealt with. Move on. God, but my nature, I want you to change my nature. I want to keep walking in this direction until you can see your face in me. Purify me, Lord. Whatever it takes, take me through trials. I will yield to you, Holy Spirit. I will allow you to work your processes. I will aid you as much as possible. I won't fight you. I will add to my faith goodness. And I asked Gideonscom this question over the week. If you're saved this morning and you're being saved, God is currently, right now, in this place, sanctifying you. In your life, He is sanctifying you. He never stops sanctifying you until one day you look like Him and you're glorified, but you'll be taken by then. You will never be done with the presence and the, and the power of sin entirely. He's broken the power that we can say no to ungodliness, but we'll still fight it. He's doing something in you. And why, why did God just not... Make us totally holy on the spot and change our nature completely that we can't 
because this is eternal life, that they might know you. See, salvation is a process and it's a relationship. It's not a sticking up your hand in something that you do. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when he said that, the picture he said he showed is you're walking behind Jesus. You won't walk behind Jesus if you're made perfect because you won't rely on him. It's the reliance and the following him that bring us into this beautiful relationship where we continue to walk with him and we continue to be made more and more holy. And it gives the Father much glory. So here are my questions for you this morning. Are you, like 2 Peter 1 says, are you adding, are you making every effort to add to your salvation, to your faith, goodness, knowledge, perseverance, love, brotherly kindness? Are you actively pursuing sanctification and to be set apart? If not, I would say that you've become like a Pharisee. Instead of like that woman who recognizes the price that was paid, I would say to you, go back. Go back to the cross and remind yourself of the incredible price that was paid. It will make you want to not, be, to not walk in sin. It will make you treasure this thing again. Or maybe there's sin in your life. And God has been putting his finger on the sin for a long time. He's saying, deal with it. I've broken the power of sin over your life. You need to deal with what I'm dealing with at the moment. Yield to me. I've given you everything for life and godliness. I've broken the power that you can say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. But some sin we've just taken ownership of or it's too hard to, to deal with. Deal with it. It's a part of your sanctification. You will never become as useful as God would want you. You might go to a degree of usefulness. But you'll never be fully useful. And the last thing. Maybe you're going through a trial. And God is actually longing to heat you up and to see his face in you, to remove the impurities. But you're wanting to jump out of that melting pot. And you can. He will allow you to jump out of it. Or maybe you haven't seen the hardship that you're going on at the moment as part of God's process to heal you, to restore you, to make you holy. Go through it. As it says in 1 James, rejoice. Be so grateful for your trials. God is doing stuff in all three of those areas, in each one of us, all the time. But unless we identify it, it's very difficult to work with him on it. But he is, because he wants a holy people, a royal priesthood. And we are that, but he needs to work that through us. So I'm going to ask you the question this morning, before the Lord. You're his, not mine. You need to be made holy. I need to be made holy. But we've got to yield ourselves to the processes God used. Don't fight him. Maybe, maybe this year is not turning out the way that you thought it was going to. You're going through so much hardship and you thought that you were going to be running in this direction. It feels you're running in this direction. It's hard. God, what are you doing in me? 
He'll show you. And as he shows you, he'll encourage you to run through it. He won't take you out of it. It's a process. Sanctification is a process. Lord, what is the sin in me at the moment that's keeping me from being 100% useful to you? There's always sin. But what is the one that you're dealing with now? Or the two that you're dealing with? Or the ten that you're dealing with now? I don't want to put it off anymore. I want to deal with it. I want to repent. I want to run away from that thing. I don't want to fear about tomorrow anymore. Sin. I don't want to do it in my own strength anymore. Sin. Pride. God's highlighting stuff and he's working it out. So those are the three questions. Have you lost your first love where you're not pursuing sanctification? You've kind of parked at justification. What is God doing in you and what sin is he asking you to remove? Or what trial are you going through? Rejoice in it. See it as a glorious thing. So I do, I do want to give a moment, but I don't want a response in terms of, um, where's Albert and Devolt? What are you guys feeling? I, I, where's Bryce? Can you just come and strum, Bryce? Because this is a moment between you and the Lord. There's one more thing I want to say about sanctification. Justification is, is, is you, we all get justified the same way. Sanctification is so unique. It's so unique because we're so different. It's so unique because our callings are so different. It's so unique because our brokenness is so different. It's so unique because my sin struggle is so different to your sin struggle. So what the Lord is doing in you is totally different to what he's doing in me. But we must be yielded to it. So you've got to go before the Lord and ask him, what are you doing in me, Lord? Because I want to be set apart. I don't want to be the toilet brush. I want to be the toothbrush. I want to be beautiful. I I desperately want you to see your face in my life. 